Welcome to Healing Lives with Corey Gilbert, a podcast sponsored by the Healing Lives Center. Discover how to love and lead your family well and biblically. God created sex, marriage, and the family for our stewardship, growth, and benefit. My heart and passion is to teach, train, educate, and disciple Christians that want strong marriages and families. The Healing Life Center has been serving Christians since the year 2000. Its mission is to be a center for sex, trauma, and marriage education and transformation, where we offer counseling, coaching, courses, and speaking services to you, your church, or ministry. Check us out at HealingLives.com. Today I invite you to listen in on Session 1 from the Ocean Homeschool Conference, um, delivered in Albany, Oregon in June 2022. And this one's entitled, Framing the Gender and LGBTQIA Conversation. Thank you, thank you. So this QR code here is the same one on those cards. It's going to be a link to the PowerPoints and the videos of this um, and everything today. So if you want to even just take that, and you can also sign up that way too. So it's either way, hopefully that's helpful for you. Um, let's pray to start this really important topic. Dear God, thank you so much for who you are and that you actually called us to be men and women that honor you. Lord, I just pray for this next hour that we will honor you with everything said and done. And I just pray that um, each of us as parents and our families and our kiddos can learn to honor you with when it comes to their sexuality, their gender, um, who you call them to be. Uh, bless this time in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so yes, we're going to talk about sex. That's part of it. But what I'm going to start with when it comes to this topic is my story. I'm going to start with um, kind of where I went, where I was, and where I've come from just a little bit as we kind of enter this topic. But the beginning thing that I want us to think about going into a very difficult topic is this right here. That people of faith, Christians, who are navigating gender identity issues are our people. They're not some other people. They're not them or those. It's our people. We need to be careful with how we talk about this. So I'm going to attempt to do the same today as we kind of talk about a very difficult subject. Now, who am I? Um, I grew up in Tibuco, Chile. Missionary kid. Um, grew up in, as a, in the Chilean schools. But I was an interesting young man, let's just say. Um, let me show you a pic- few pictures, which will help you kind of see where that <coughs> comes from. Um, this is me when we came back to the United States in 1992. Um, I was on a mission trip, and someone said to me, a missionary said to me, you know what, you grew up in a country where you're a redhead, white guy, stood out like a sore thumb, and you came to America and you're a nobody. You did everything you could to stand out. And you did a really good job of it. I love my pink suit coat and my purple coat and anything I could, my mullet. Um, those are awesome. I don't think they need to come back. But, um, <laughs> And then I even, I wanted my freedom. I came to America and it's like, you have to have mommy take you everywhere. And so I bought a motorcycle, I didn't even know how to ride one. Um, I wanted my freedom. Mom had to take me to McDonald's, which is where I worked. I hated that. So I'm 18 and I still can't go on my own. So that became my story. What scares me is, where would I be today with what I was actually going through internally? Because I had questions about who I was, my identity. And one of the key areas was, I wasn't like all the other guys. I didn't like the stuff the guys liked. I didn't talk about politics, couldn't stand sports. There's only one sport in South America, which is soccer. So I played that, and after 15 casts, I decided I was being called elsewhere. (laughs) And I became a musician and got into music. But then I went to college and found out you have to have talent. So my junior year, so much passion. My junior year, my uh, professor sat me down and said, you're not graduating. (laughs) Um, You need to find a new major. And my life fell apart and got rebuilt. As I took one, I had one elective, I took a counseling class. And I realized that as a young man, I watched people, some key missionaries that I loved, have affairs and be kicked off the field. And it destroyed me, I couldn't understand it. And it led to, and the journey of where I am today and what I've done for the last 22 years, which is really neat to see how God does that. That's why I love teaching at a university and helping guide, because I don't know where you're going to go, and they didn't know that for me, but they helped at least point me in a direction um, to figure out who I am, which then became, get a real, real bike. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, yeah, and it's loud, and that's the whole and point. No it's supposed to be. <laughs> I know. I need the mullet. I, my wife, I think, vetoes that one half the time. Maybe my son will get there. He's got long hair now. But the, the best part of like where I finally started making sense was here. Best day of my life. I met this weird, crazy woman <laughs> that didn't think like other women. She's from the legal field, and she's got a brain that's got the boxes, the whole spaghetti and waffles. I have the spaghetti. My brain's all, I'm a mess. I'm an emotional. I cried everything. They still laugh at me when we watch cards, because I cry at the end every <laughs> And my wife just points and laughs. And now the kids, what do they do? Point and laugh. And it's shaped, it shaped me. It worries me about where I would be today if I was a teenager today in our country, in our society, in our school system. I believe they'd be pushing me to do things that are life-altering, if not forever-altering. Because I did have questions. I didn't fit in. I didn't make sense. This is our school pic our picture for our church directory. If you do this, you can. And as well, this is a couple years after we moved to Oregon. And then they grow up. I don't know if you noticed that. They do grow up. And that little guy, Blaze, on the far side is taller than me now. And they have their weird personalities. By, by the way, these are called my experiments. <laughs> these are our experiments. Yeah, he's got the main right there. And what we do with our kids, I am not an outdoorsy person. And for some reason, my dad was. He's a Boy Scout and didn't do that with me. And now I do that. I'm in my 10th, I started my 11th year with my sons doing Boy Scouts, going and doing stuff I never would have chosen. I like to go, let's go inside, let's play dolls, let's do tea. And God gave me two sons that has led me into a very different story by choice. And I would even say by God's ordination there, divine intervention, if you will. Today, we're going to talk about a very difficult subject but I want to talk about it in kind of three pieces. We're going to look at the created order, and then where did it get disordered? And what about you? What about me? What about myself in this context, in this world, with these people around us that are struggling, that are truly asking hard questions? So starting with this created order, where do we want to land? Where do we want to start? We want to start with Scripture. And so a big part of what I want to do today is kind of lay that framework, that groundwork, um, I go into further depth on this and on my kind of YouTube channel. I have a podcast. Uh, I've got books and all that. I go into further depth. Can't do that, obviously, in an hour. But today I felt like the most important thing for us to start with was Scripture. So let's look at that. Beginning in the very beginning of Genesis, starting with man. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is the foundation. And one of the things that I really like about this foundation is there's this area that we have a question about sometimes, and it's actually this area of work. Where does it fit in in the, in the, the storyline? Story it's not a curse after the fall. It was actually part of the garden. We were called to work. What baffles me is Adam walked the garden in perfect harmony and community with Christ, with, with God, and still was missing something. And he worked. Work's not a curse. We need to make sure our kids understand that too, even though they act like that. So Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and take care of it. And then he did something really, really curious. So the Lord gave, God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. What did he do to get to this point? It's a really cool step. He said, you know what, Adam? I'm going to have you name all the animals so you can be reminded that none of them are like you even though all of our researchers today seem to compare us to every animal under the sun. No. And I can't imagine day after day naming these animals and how long that might have taken going, God, none of these are like me. And then when it was like, whoa, man. Oh, beautiful. And he created Eve. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. What an incredible design. There is a perfect design. But then he it took it a step further. He created marriage. That's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife and they become one flesh. This is the beginning of this. Marriage is not a social construction as we like to hear or don't like to hear our culture talk about. 
And the most important piece is it's two sexually different people. There is no other design. All other designs fall flat. They don't work. They don't bring the two parts that are supposed to be brought together to make a baby, which is part of the design, if you will. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. What's sad to me is we feel shame. We know shame. Even in marriage, there's still shame. And that breaks my heart because it isn't the created order as God actually intended for it to be. And then he took it another step further. He goes, this is how we're going to make babies, procreation. We're going to bring children in the world in the context of marriage. But where did this all fall apart? Well, we know the word. Where does disorder enter it? It came through sin. This is where things got scary, got hairy, if you will. What does it look like? Genesis 3. We like to blame, by the way. So, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. That's a very important point. And he ate it. And the eyes of both of them were open and they ran to Kmart. Um, they found clothes. But it's so crazy. Think about this. The first thing that happens after this is blame. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And this is where everything falls apart. And there's two fails. The helper fail. Eve, what happened? To the woman, he said, I will make you pains and childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. That's her consequence, if you will, from this sin. And then leadership failed for Adam. He was the one that had been told what to do and what not to do. And he was present and he did not step up to the kind of man that he was actually meant to be. And so to Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree, by which I commanded you must not eat from it, cursed is the ground. You will work. You will toil the land. So what is the, the final piece of this? There's two big pieces. It's the man will struggle with and return to the earth and then two for the woman the woman will have pain in childbirth and struggle with man her desire will be to rule over him there's an order and it's disorder when it comes to the consequences and so then what do we do with this you you and me well you and i struggle in stress about some key areas in our life one of the areas that i spend a lot of time talking about is gender and sexuality an area that we wrestle with what does it mean some of the foundational verses to think about. You were created in my inmost being. You were knit together in my mother's womb. How appropriate in our current debate and conversation right now. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And what are we to do? This is a scary assignment to every single one of us. You are to put to death. Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. We, here's our assignment already. You and I have things inside of us that are not God's perfect design. We must put it to death. So we, now we have to kind of outline that. What does that mean? What are those things we actually have to take care of? One of those areas that I hear a lot is this idea of attraction and desires. Whatever you're attracted to or whoever you're attracted to is now your definition of who you are. And it's like, that's sad to me because actually the phrase I use is that's bad data. Attraction can go into conversation. Attraction doesn't keep a marriage or a relationship going. Which is why we see a lot of people attracted and then re-attracted and then re-attracted. Like, it's a serial monogamy, if you will, but it's not. It doesn't continue long term. It's not the way it's meant to be. And we have put so much weight on attraction. It's scary. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. This is what we're getting. This is what for many of our children we're getting. This is what some of us have received. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger. And it goes on and on. And what's scary is these lists, by the way, the lists in Scripture, think of them this way. They're not exhaustive, but they take every one of us out. <laughs> We like to focus in on the maybe the homosexuality piece or something like that. No. Every single one of us fails. It's the, that's the point. It's not meant to be some exhaustive list. 
And our attractions and desires, I believe, are bad data. They're important information, but they don't, again, they don't sustain. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these. This is who we're meant to be, the design. If we're not that, we're not who we're supposed to be. And if you think of our current world right now, this is where we're falling apart. We're not who we're supposed to be in our marriage, with our kids. I'm sure you've had maybe moments in the last day and a half of lack of patience with your kids. Just saying. <laughs> and it reveals right there our need for a savior, our need for um, the cross. For those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. That is our command. So if we think of our desires and our identity, a lot of what we're dealing with right now is we're actually not nailing them to the cross. We're actually labeling them as our identity. <coughs> who I am. That should scare us right there. What is it we are self-centered in? I believe that there's no way a single friendship or relationship, let alone a marriage, can work. Why? You all think you're right. <laughs> and so do I. And so what does marriage take? A relationship. It takes me actually laying aside my right to be right and actually listening to you and being in a relationship with you. It's dying to self in so many ways that we don't think of it that way. The only way a relationship works is when I stop taking myself so seriously. Where's our culture? The exact opposite. Take yourself so seriously that you must force others to, to what? Pronouns, call you things, names, identity, endorse. If you don't love me, we've actually hijacked love. Because yeah. love, by the way, is not any of those things. Love is actually calling you to a higher place, <coughs> a higher level, a higher standard. Now, you may have seen this, for some of you, if you haven't seen this, it's going to be important to think through it. It might be, might be too short here to understand it or think through it right now, so we can come back to it some other time. But there's this explanation of who we are that's been put together, which is really helpful, or maybe not. It's the gender-bred person. <laughs> and it takes what is typically quite simple and makes it really complicated. You're not just your gender. You are... Because that gender word has been hijacked as well. You are your identity, your attraction, your sex, and your expression. There's all sorts of different parts of who you are. And when you start parsing that out, it's like, okay, like what I said about myself. I was, I'm male, I know I'm male, but my expression of that was very different. I didn't understand that. What have we done? We've actually turned that into identity versus personality versus part of just who I am. You zero in on here on the identity, expression, and sex. Many of us, especially parents, older parents, your mind is just like blown, going, why is this so complicated? <laughs> We've made this complicated because it fits the narrative. Where we're going to help you understand that you may feel this way, and because you feel this way, that is who you are, and therefore you need to run with it. And if you don't run with it, there's a consequence. Another key area is this one right here. Are you sexually attracted to or romantically attracted to? What are those things that define me? Sexually attracted to, I almost call that more animalistic even. Just because I'm sexually attracted to someone or something or some screen or some magazine, I guess that's old school now, but versus romantically attracted to, a desire to build a relationship with, which by the way, even romantically is kind of, eh, because even that, doesn't sustain. It has a shelf life. As all of us can say, if you're married, whatever started it off didn't keep it going. I had to find new skill. I'm this hopeless romantic and I married a very non-romantic human being. <laughs> and everything I knew I could or could try to do, she doesn't work with her. It's like, okay, what? What's God's sense of humor in that? It makes me work harder. <laughs> it's very frustrating. I think that's part of God's design, which is really cool. Now we have from this and part of this and the storyline here of this is we have these letters, LGBTQIA+, and this is growing actually. Lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and there's a push against those first three against the transgender because that's going too far. And then Q can be questioning or queer, intersex, asexual. 
except, first of all, marriage is between two sexually different people, period. There is no other combination. If we're looking at God's word, that's, there isn't anything else. But what about this idea of sexual identity and attractions? Because this is where we're spending a lot of time and energy, is but what I'm attracted to or who I'm attracted to defines me. How I call myself, my identity. Which, actually, if I really think about this deeply, it's like my identity ought to be in Christ. But what I actually find, even when I talk to college students oftentimes, they can't define that. When I talk to adults, they can't. What does it mean to have my identity in Christ? Be a carpenter? I mean, no. So that's an important one. Now, this T, if I take out that T right now, transgender, we have a lot of questions about what's going on in our culture when it comes to the transgender ideology movement. So many that are hurting. In my work, in my life, my career, um, to me this is one of those areas where we must spend more time learning and understanding what research says, which by the way, a lot of research is quite new and it's all over the map. And you basically look at who funded the research and you can kind of guess where it came from in terms of the results. It's really scary. Just like we're asking questions, can a man and a man and a woman and a woman raise children together? Yes, they can. Single parents have been doing it a long time too. But what's the design? A husband and a wife and children. One of the things we tell our, our single moms that come to our Boy Scout troop is, your son is so welcome here. We want to be men in your son's life. And you're not welcome. Because it's just dads that go on the, the campouts and the moms are like, thank you. <laughs> because it's community and I'm also there for another reason because I want my sons to have other dads because I'm done dad <laughs> and they'll be jealous at times when I'm talking to one of the other boys because they wanted my attention and it's like how do you build community there's a lot of reasons why you and I have created a community when it comes to homeschooling and if you're not involved in a co-op find a co-op Get involved in a group with another group of people that you need that just as a support system. And by the way, they're all flawed too. They all have their stories. They all have their journeys. But this piece of this right here, there's a tool that I use to help understand how did we get here in terms of defining ourselves. That's really been helpful for me. I use this with clients a lot. It's this one right here. These are six things that actually influence who I am and what makes me who I am. From your values to your behaviors to your biological sex to your activities. I know many young men and young women who really didn't have a struggle with their identity or sexual identity until they were assaulted or until they were in a situation where they had an oral sex experience with same sex and all of a sudden they're like, huh, I don't know what to think about that. And now they're different. Or out of just your curiosity. Thanks to, what, I guess that girl, what's your name? Katy Perry? Mm -hmm. I mean, all of our culture. Um, young, young ladies that I've talked to are like, you know what, I've been with a guy, but I haven't tried the other side yet. I'll try that, then I'll tell you who I am. That's what's being pushed in our culture. Right now, what I'm hearing from teenagers is gay, lesbian, bisexual. <laughs> That's so old school. It should scare us. Trans is the new in thing, cool thing. Why? Because you're now in a really separate group. And what, is our, what are we looking for in that age? What did you and I look for in that age? Identity, to belong, to be seen. What's that other one up there? <coughs> to be seen, to be known, and to belong. That's what we want. And our, our teens, our kids are struggling to figure that out. But when it comes to these pieces, if you think of your values and your faith in Christ, and that value piece is so big, it influences how I make decisions. There's a current debate and conversation even about, can I call myself a gay Christian? And I love this. I think it's really important. Because there are many that are saying, absolutely, yes. This is who I am, but I choose to be celibate. And, this is, and others are going, no, you can't call yourself that. Because by calling yourself that, that's your new idol and you're denouncing Christ. This is really complicated. This is also why we can't, I can't get up here and just tell you, here's all the answers. It's, let's talk one-on-one. -on -one. Let's actually talk through some of this stuff because it's really complicated. And different families land in different places. How do you love your son or daughter who is struggling? I bet you if we talk to anyone here or friends that are wrestling through that, 
they've all landed in different places on how to do that. And we're good at judging, so be careful with that. How do I, how do I draw them to the cross? Now, one of the things that's changed for me has been I absolutely have believed that if your son or daughter is struggling, you do everything you can to keep them in a relationship and call them whatever you want to call them that they want to be called to keep the relationship long term. What we've actually started seeing is those that are detransitioning, which by the way are so many, are actually coming back to moms and dads and going, why did you partner with a lie? Just to try to make me happy. The data shows that actually, if you don't help your child who says they're another gender <coughs> transition, their, their suicide rate goes up. Actually, the data also shows that if they transition within the next four to six years, the suicide rate goes up. Don't let your child hold you hostage, because that's actually not loving them. We think it is in the moment. The other day, I was skiing with my, or a few months ago, skiing with my daughter. It's her first time out there. I felt like a bad parent. Why? She's in tears. My beautiful 11-year-old, because this ski boots her, and it's cold. And I don't like this, and I'm not getting it, and I just felt like a bad dad by pushing her and kind of being a little mean. I almost crying a couple times myself. <laughs> Try, we went, she went back to mom, I went back to the boys and had a blast, and it's getting dark. I'm like, my lady, okay, last try. Got her out there, and she's crying, and she's struggling, and all of a sudden she's going, and she's proud. <laughs> and she went over and over and over and over. She had said she was going to just go twice. Like into the night, in the dark. Oh. Didn't feel like a bad dad at that point. But I did in the moment. Why? Because you and I are programmed to love our children. And if we're not careful, that means give them whatever they want, make them happy. That's not it. It's not this. This is not it. Think about this right here. Sex is my right. This is a belief system that a lot of people have right now. But read, read this part right here. It's actually scary. This is the foundation of what's going to come next. Proponents of this view conclude that this authority is that of their own experience or intuition, their own sense of inner rightness. Just pause there and think about you. You've met you. Your own sense of inner rightness. Have you ever wanted things that you know are bad for you? Maybe the coffee in your hand. <laughs> Have you ever wanted a person, been attracted? Some of you, by the way, dating... You don't need to have the choice of who you date because you have a bad radar. You attract the wrong kind of people. You need a committee that it runs through. <laughs> but this gets worse. So the foundation is your own sense of inner rightness, which already scares me for myself. I don't want that. God, can you just put the strings on and make me be a puppet and do what you want me to do is what I want to say. And God goes, no, I love you so much. No, you have, you're, you have free will. Which is scary. I don't like it sometimes. So this proponent of this says, God has made me and therefore made the desires I have. It gets worse. Two, everything God makes is good and therefore my desires are good. And it gets worse. Good desires deserve to be and even ought to be fulfilled. Every single one of us has a theology, a belief system. And we hang on to that belief system. Because the problem here is every single one of these points are false. The premise is false, which makes the whole conversation kind of irrelevant, ironically. There are some really important books that have been written in the last few years about gay marriage and about homosexuality and about um, this conversation that start off on premises that are actually downright unbiblical. Which means the whole findings of this, these, these resources are pointless. It's important to be careful what we're bringing in. What is happening in our culture and our, with our kids? We used to have this word tolerance. Remember that word a long, long time ago? That's so old school. It's gone way past that word tolerance. It's gone to, from tolerance to acceptance, from acceptance to celebration, from celebration to participation. What month is this? Pride month. I, I dare you go to the month of or go to the, go to the Bible app, type in pride, and just read the verses. Yeah, right. They all condemn us, except two that say you should be proud of who your Savior is, and you should be proud of what He's done for you, not who you want to go 
get in bed with or any other stuff. It makes me scared, actually, how even that word has been hijacked. I almost feel bad sometimes saying I'm proud of you to my students or to my kids because this word has been abused. But that's where we're at. Preston Sprinkle has his quote here. He says, we need to be, create safe spaces, which I don't like that phrase, but I understand it, where young people can open up, be heard, receive godly wisdom, and learn about God's expansive vision for what it, it means to be male and female. Key phrase here, receive godly wisdom. That's not what's happening. The teenagers that I talk to are receiving more information and teaching and indoctrination, if you will, through TikTok, through <coughs> online games, through online chat rooms, through Discord channels, through those places, in your own living room, in, your, in their bedroom sometimes, but in your own house, is as if you've actually invited all those people into your living room for a party and said, here, teach my child. And then they wonder, where did I go wrong? Where did I miss it? How did my child dot, 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 dot. It's scary what's happening because people of faith who are navigating generative issues are our people. These are our sons, our daughters, our sisters, our brothers, sometimes our moms and dads who are really wrestling. They're asking hard questions. They're trying to figure out this really difficult conversation about what does it mean to be me? Which, by the way, it's interesting to think about. If you haven't seen that What is a Woman documentary, it's so good. Jordan Peterson made a very simple comment that just was like, yes, thank you. He's like, this identity question is not about identity. It's what's your personality? It's that simple. We've, it's been turned into gender identity. That's the phrase most of us have hear, hear. They don't hear personality. He's like, no. We all have a personality. You were born male or female, and you have a personality. And how you play that out is going to be very different than someone else. I'm not going to be this athletic person and be this kind of jock personality that might be my stereotype of masculinity, um, but someone else might be. Now, let me make this a little messier. You heard of what that is? Math? It's the next letters that are going to have to be added. Minor attracted persons. And it's been very carefully labeled. It's not a woman or a man. We've got persons. Minor attracted. This has been coming for two or three years. I've been talking about it for about four or five years. Where pedophilia is going to be normalized. Still not okay. But and it's this slow progression as we continue. I have students at Corbin that when they get engaged, if they're from Portland, their friends disown them. Why would you ever settle for just one person? Why? Because this is the norm. What's polyamory? It's three or more people. It's a husband and a wife that are married where she has a girlfriend on the side, but it's all okay. It's the open marriage. It's four or five, six people that live in a house. They're not all sexually involved, but there's this weird combination of this. Um, go, this is dangerous, I know to do. Go to YouTube and type in polyamory testimonies. I have never heard a testimony from their own words, in their own, in their own words, that said this worked. In their own testimony, they show how this does not work. But we're trying to find the next cool thing. The way I can be happy. And we're not finding it. They're not finding it. Serial monogamy, might be that, that might be what we're settling for. I might stay faithful to one person, but it's one after the other. Not God's perfect design. What I said a minute ago, Online peers is where I've been seeing the biggest downfall when it comes to our kids. Again, Discord channels, different places. What is it? What else is influencing our children when it comes to some of these um, just questions they have, but also how they're actually going forward in, in life? So these, what's stunning their growth? These are really important. These are re based off research, um, and yet they give us an assignment in the sense as to how to protect our kids, how to prepare them, and how to um, eventually supposedly launch them, which I think should be the goal. That you go. <laughs> go and make disciples, yes, go. Um, excessive video game play is one of them. It's not video games. It's excessive video game play. It's when I will choose my video games over a real person. It's when that world is more important to me than real people. 
But this is where we're losing so many of our, our young men usually, but young women as well. Not surprisingly, porn. More young men in their 20s has had erectile dysfunction than ever before. The young men I talk to, they, get, they meet this girl, they get married, they're so excited to be married, and then I get a call a week or two later, and it's like, he doesn't work. Because he's been looking at porn that's so graphic that they can't actually perform in marriage, if you will. It's heartbreaking. Pornography is destroying our young people. It's destroying marriages, destroying adults. This is getting every level of society in its normalized. A couple of states have actually seen it as a health crisis and outlawed it, seen it as an actual problem, secular, which should tell us something, but we often don't listen. Absent fathers. This isn't just dads that are gone. This is dads that could be there, but they're not there. They're an absent human, an absent influence. The role of a father, we, we do a great job of emphasizing mothers. We do Mother's Day, yay! We do fathers, you stink. <laughs> like, we need to be careful about it. Fathers play one of the most critical roles. James Hobson actually mentions that about eight, age eight, that 18 months that that child switches away from the mom to the dad in terms of what he's looking to at, boys and girls. So when our kids hit 18 months, my wife was like, all right, I'm done. <laughs> But absent fathers, you think of those that have gone into schools and shut up. It's been predominantly boys that actually have an absent father situation. Um, video games are a big influence. Porn is a big influence. Um, many, actually, I think all but one have been involved in the incel group. You know what the incel, I-N-C-E-L, involuntary celibate. So they're mad at the world because they're a virgin and they believe the world owes them a girl. And so there's just this anger and violence inside that then comes out. And it's a growing group um, across the world, but across America. So more that are influencing us is irresponsibility. If your kids on a chores, hello. <laughs> they have to work to live there. They need to work. They need to learn that work is a good thing. Um, we have it where it's basically here are the basic stuff just to live here. And then here, we've tried the whole like chart on the wall and you can earn money and they just don't do it. It's like, so then you don't have money. It's kind of simple. Um, but no allowance thing, kind of the Dave Ramsey commission mentality. Um, and then now it's been neat to see like our oldest getting a job and actually making real money. And hey, now you have to pay insurance and tires and it's kind of fun. <laughs> There's so much. I know. Welcome to the real world. <laughs> Which leads to skilllessness there's a YouTube channel that a dad created that's basically like here's how to fix things why because how many of us didn't learn this from our dads how important it is that we actually know how to do some basic things like fix a faucet so we need to be this is the area that's actually in decline in our country in terms of you know, what you know was it Mike Rowe is pushing about the trades we need people that have skills and the one that's absolutely destroying our girls, for sure, social media. The book Coddling of the American Mind, great research. Basically, the, the author said, I would not trust my teenager with a smartphone unless I would trust them with a pistol first. Which one's more dangerous? The smartphone. But he wasn't talking about the smartphone just as it is. Steve Jobs was excited to create a device that had a camera and music and a and, um, phone. He would be appalled as to what it's become, where it's a device created to keep you there. If you post on Facebook and it links off Facebook, they hide that stuff. Why? They want to keep you scrolling. They want to keep you lost. They want to keep you... And what are we seeing? We're losing girls, especially from comparison. Instagram and other places? Or are we losing boys more from games and lack of just responsibility? This is, this is horrifying. So what do I need to do? What is my call in this almost insanity, if you will, where we're at? It's actually not a word you probably think of. It's actually surrender. A lot of what's happening in our culture is we're fighting for my right for this and fighting for my right for that and fighting to be heard. And it's the opposite of what relationships are all about. 
Our relationships are about me giving up that, and actually it's about service. What do our friends need from us? Us to serve them, to love them, to listen to them, to be a friend. Not agree with what they say. Not what we actually have determined as loving is not actually loving. Lying to a person is not loving them. Walking alongside saying, you know I disagree, but man, do I love you. That's way more biblical, if you will. And so how do I live with others from a different worldview? Well, let me go straight to scripture for that. Really, really important assignment for us. How do I love? 2 Timothy 2. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Along with those who call on the Lord, Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. There's a part of your assignment right there. Stop posting on Facebook and acting like a... can't say that word. Um, because you know um, they produce quarrels. That's not what we're called to do. Fight. Pick fights. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone. Able to teach, not resentful. Able to teach, by the way, means you know the scripture and you know truth. That's another place that many of us need to start. Opponents must be gently instructed. Which, by the way, oftentimes they're not receptive, so you have to wait. You might have to be waiting a long time, too. In the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to knowledge of the truth. God, not you. You don't convert people. God does it. And that they will come to their senses, that's a good way to put it, and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. I believe what's going on in our culture is satanic. The assault on our children is satanic. Amen. And it breaks my heart because there are so many that are now later going, I was duped and please don't fall for this. I believe there are people that are involved, medical doctors, counselors, teachers, that are going to be held accountable for what they're doing in this science experiment with children. It was sad to me as I talked to the parents who go, I don't know what to do, I've lost my child. And yes, you have. And you pray, and you spend time on your knees, and you wait for their life to fall to pieces. Because, by the way, if your child goes and chops their breasts off and cuts things off and takes hormones, and no matter what they do to their body, God still looks at them the same. So they can go all the way. The goal is that by the time they, before they die, they've surrendered their life to Christ. That's the goal. You and I get focused as a homeschool parent on teaching them Stuff. My family makes me feel dumb when I look at it. Our room's full of Latin. It's like, I just feel... Anyway. <laughs> um, the timeline. Goodness gracious in classical conversations. It's like, I just feel... I don't know history at all. And the kids can just pull it out of anywhere. It's so cool. More important than any of that is their faith. That they know Christ. That they actually want to live for Him, not because you want them to live for Him. Which scares me for my own kids. My kids have to make their own decisions. I can't make them, and that's scary as a parent. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. This is who we're supposed to be. This is who we're called to be. You see, men and women that actually honor Him by being someone that's actually willing to be that safe place. And again, I don't like that phrase. We all should be a safe place. But safe place has been hijacked as well and turned into a place where certain things cannot ever be talked about in a sense. As in they're talked about, but there's never actual conversation. Actually dialogue back and forth, debate. So may you be a place where you are debating, but you're debating from Scripture, from God's Word, carefully, gently. Now think of this model. The last thing I wanted to kind of lay out here was this model of how we do church, um, how we do um, draw someone in who may not actually be a believer. And it's this one right here. We have this model of behave first. I want you to grow up, step, you know, face who you are. Then you can believe and then you can become a part of us. What if it was actually a different story? What if it was actually come be a part of us? And in the process of being a part of us, you come to faith in Christ and you become that's who we actually need to be. Our churches, our homes, our families. We don't need to protect our kids from the world in a sense. We are choosing to in some ways. We need to prepare them for what's actually in our world. Yes. When it comes to gender and identity and questions, 
Um, they need to know how to pay bills. They need to know how, there's so many other areas we need to talk about. This is the area I talk about. Um, these, I wrote this book for parents. Um, I can't say that. And what it was, was me realizing I didn't have this. My wife didn't have this. We didn't have this. How do you go beyond the talk? How do you talk about these topics from, gen, from a biblical worldview? And it has a workbook that goes with it. But then I was like, okay, great. What I'm seeing here at this homeschool conference, I'm out there at a table, and I see family after family walk by. And I know what they're thinking. My kid's not a teen yet. I don't need to worry about this yet. <laughs> and it's like, no, this is written for the zero and one and two and three-year-old and four-year-old and five-year-old and six-year-old and seven-year-old and nine, eight, nine, oh, and ten, you're almost done. We're going to have a session at two o'clock about that. At ten, your parenting is done. By seven, by the way, they're, who they are is set in stone. Their personality. Had a mom recently actually say this. She said, I wish I hadn't listened to other moms who said, just enjoy these young kids' age. Because now she's got teenagers that are out of control and she doesn't know what to do. She didn't plant seeds when they were younger and listening at that age. She's trying to set rules to her teen and they're new for them. So then I wrote this one, the going beyond the talk. This is the one for the parents, like, I can't do this here. <laughs> and you hand this to them and actually have them talk through the, or read through this themselves. And it's got a workbook at the back of each, of each chapter. And my favorite review of this was a teenager, an 18-year-old who said, um, this didn't tell me what to believe. This helped me think through what to believe. Didn't force it down you. It's not my heart. My heart is to send you to the cross to help you not to the cross. That sounds really bad. <laughs> to <laughs> draw you to the cross. Help you see Christ and what he's done for you and who God's called you to be as a man and as a woman. That he's got a perfect design for who you are and who you can become. I am a guy that... Um, if I chose to, even still to this day, um, I would make choices that are different than what I do now. Everything I own says Harley, just because that's me now. But um, my glasses, I went in and got glasses a few months ago, and my wife wasn't there, which is probably a bad idea sometimes. Because I buy the ones that are all like colorful. And years ago, I had a purple tint to my lens, and didn't realize that that. People were asking questions because of that. I had no clue. I just love all of that. My, I don't have any purple and pink shirts anymore. And why? Because I realized I like that, but I also don't have to. I can make choices. And you start realizing, wow, I actually choose who I want to become. And so then I go to the Harley stores and see these. And if you've ever been, you see the price and you go, these are all from eBay. So you learn how to get my wife, my wife's idea. Find them online cheap and... We're all doing that in the way that we present ourselves, the cars we drive, the houses we buy. We're all creating a world that says something. Your persona, same thing. From the hats we wear to the glasses to jewelry to clothes, we're, we're saying something. And so how do we actually be intentional about that? Met this young man at a conference. He was an incredible guy. The most effeminate, loud, obnoxious person I've ever met. Everything he wore was very girly, had a purse. Uh, this is down in L.A., so you can get the picture. Um, and we were at dinner together, him and a bunch of us business people. And, and he was talking about his son and then his ex-wife. They were divorced. And his trauma and his story and how he is going to be whoever he wants to be. <coughs> and I remember just kind of that shift, realizing this is an incredible young man. He was lost. Not a believer, but he's trying to figure out who he wants to be. He's making very loud choices that from the outside, people automatically judge. And when you get to know him, this guy is brilliant. He, well, he affords all his stuff. He has to make a lot of money. Um, and he was a really neat young man. Again, the part missing is faith in Christ. Would that change his clothing? Probably not. Maybe so. I don't know. It's not the point. We need to be careful where we get hung up on these kind of things. Because our goal in terms of, as parents, is to plant seeds in our children that then grow. Who's going to grow those? Other people. I love being a college professor where I get to talk to college students and continue the work that moms and dads have done. Sometimes I'm also the first person a kid walks into their, my office and says, I never told anyone this, but blah. 
but speaking of a safe place. The, one of the universities I used to talk about, or teach at, when I got there the second year, they actually made the comment, um, well, we never had gay people here until Dr. Gilbert showed up. <laughs> so, that makes me so heartbreakingly sad. You were not safe to talk about any, anything. And all of a sudden I'm here and we're talking about it. That's, that, that's an indictment. So our families need to be a place to talk through this, to talk through preparing them for the world we live in. I love movies, but you can't watch them without something in there. It leads to conversations. I love TV shows, can't, can't watch them without something in there. So do we just not talk about it? Do we avoid them? Each of you has to make that decision. But the goal is that we actually lead our children well because they are going to make the decision, not us. They have to make the decisions um, for what's next. Um, back to this QR code. This thing is on your um, piece of paper there. It's also the same one here. This is for you. I'm gonna, on here we'll have this slideshow, video, and other resources there, and I'll keep putting more there. This is for this conference. Um, that will, helps you, helps serve you, and if I can do anything, it's been an honor, and thanks for having me today. Thank you for tuning in to the Healing Lives with Corey Gilbert podcast. It has been an honor to serve. If you are struggling, have questions, or in need, Dr. Gilbert offers a free consultation for new clients. Check us out at healinglives.com to book a call. If this has been helpful to you, please share it, leave a review, and help us get the word out so that we can see lives changed, marriages transformed, and more people come into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. The Healing Lives Center offers online courses, programs, books, intensives, and other services to help you live biblically and well. Discover more resources on YouTube and in Dr. Gilbert's Healing Marriage Facebook group, The Healing Marriage.